Welcome back to the Jake Podcast, episode 26, the, the Kyle Korver episode. Might be the best 26 in the league, uh, not a very popular number, and uh, certainly one of the better 26s in Cleveland lore because it's really, again, not, not, not one of the more popular ones. So Kyle Korver, one of the greatest three-point shooters of all time, current Cleveland Cavalier, rides us into our NBA preview episode. So, been talking a lot about baseball recently. Football's been obviously, you know, we're almost midway through the season, so obviously been talking a lot of football. But basketball started up this week. Uh, I I've been very much on like a you know championship or bust for Cleveland for the last four years since LeBron came home, and this is a very strange feeling for me, right? Because this is not something I'm used to. But over the past couple of years. I've kind of just looked away from the NBA and been like, whatever. I just want to watch the Cavaliers and nothing else. But I'm going to make a, a little bit more of an effort this year to watch more games, watch other teams, see who else can challenge in the NBA. Uh, you know, the first night went through, and I only watched the Cavaliers and the end of the Warriors game. So pretty good night for me, uh, you know, aside from the fact that the Cavaliers barely won over a team, the Celtics, that I think they're a lot better than. And now Celtics have the built-in excuse of the Gordon Hayward injury. And that I was it was really bad. Um, and I feel really bad for the guy because I, I actually really like Gordon Hayward. And coming into the season, I was like, good. I want the Celtics to think they have this really awesome team that's going to challenge Cleveland or beat Cleveland. And then I want Cleveland to just throttle them in the playoffs again in five games. That was my whole thought coming into the season, but that's going to change now because Gordon Hayward landed horribly on his, like I guess it was his ankle, and uh, and like dislocated or fractured his ankle or something because it's ugly, and uh, it wasn't. But everyone was saying this is the ugliest injury they've ever seen. It's it's not. It's like number five on the top. Ooh, do we do an injury top five? Yeah, I think we do. So we'll save that for later. But yeah, Gordon Hayward, you know, I'm, I'm you know, hope for the best recovery. But uh, it looks like he'll be out this whole season. And uh, it'll be like kind of one of those comeback in stages type thing. Like kind of like Paul George. You know, Paul George came back and wasn't really himself just yet. It took like the end of the season he came back. And then the next season was like, okay, now he's back. But I didn't think this Celtics team was much of a threat to beat the Cavs in the playoffs. I know they would, you know, probably take a couple in the regular season. They played four times. I was thinking, well, you know what? It just the way the Cavs play in the regular season, they kind of are just like just get us to one of the top seeds, coast most of the way, and then once the playoffs start, they throttle down. It's a very deep Cavs team. Okay, this is you know, uh, they're, when healthy, their starting five looks like Isaiah Thomas, Dwayne Wade, LeBron, Jay Crowder, and Kevin Love, which means their bench is Derrick Rose, J.R. Smith, Kyle Korver, Jeff Green, who looked great in the first game, and Tristan Thompson, who's been a starter here for years. He's come off the bench before, but, I mean, that's a really great bench right there. Those, although all five of those guys could you know, could start for a lot of NBA teams. That five actually might make the East playoffs as like the seven seed. It's crazy. And this isn't even counting guys like their rookie Chetty Oshman, who they brought over from uh, Croatia. They've been dying to play, but they have no spot for him. And they had to release Eddie Tavares. They had to send down Kendrick Perkins, which that's no big loss there. Um, they have Jose Calderon as like an emergency backup point guard, which that signing made no sense to me, uh, which means they had to trade Richard Jefferson, which was a real bummer because Road Trippin's one of the best podcasts out there. And I don't really know what Allie Clifton and Channing Fry are going to do now that Richard Jefferson is gone. Maybe try to have just a guest 
host on each week a la like SNL style. Maybe that's their best route. But for now, it's uh, it's probably going to be away for a bit. And especially since, Ch oh, and I didn't even mention Amon Shumpert. Yeah, that's a really deep Cavs team. I mean, that's like 15 guys deep. They're, they're having to get rid of some of these guys. So they're probably going to make a deal. You know, you look at how deep that team is. You don't need 13 guys who can play. You, uh, you trade Channing Fry, Amon Shumpert, and uh, that Brooklyn pick, and you get another big piece for the future to help you out keep going. But that's just the Cavaliers. I think, you know, in the Eastern Conference, it is all about them. As long as they stay healthy, there is no real threat with Boston being a little limped. And the fact that, you know, this is their first year of their new-look squad. You know, they go after Gordon Haywood, they, uh, uh, Hayward, and uh, Jalen Brown does look a lot better. I mean, he looks like a potential all-star. Jason Tatum is a rookie, but he has, like, a lot of... A lot of things to like about him. And obviously Kyrie. I mean, I love Kyrie, but, you know, with playing with such a young team and from what you saw in, in his first two games, a lot of ISO, it's like, is this going to be a lot of the Kyrie of pre-LeBron where it's like just try to put the whole team on his back? Um, obviously, he left Cleveland in kind of a really rigid way. They, uh, they gave him really... I mean, the best opportunity for him to go to, there wasn't much, uh, I can't think of another team that they could have traded him to for him to have been in a better spot. Obviously, the Hayward injury changes that a little bit, but if they trade him to Phoenix, you know, what they would have gotten back, he would have been him and Booker, and that's it. Phoenix lost by 50 points on the first night. Or they would have traded him to Orlando, or, I mean, the the Hornets. Like, the you know, the, they gave him what he wanted. He wanted to go to his own place, even though he's kind of hypocritical and said he wanted to go to San Antonio. It's like, really, you want to be a star, your own star, but you want to go to San Antonio? You know, you want to go to Minnesota where you just want to play with, like, your friends? Look, we, we'll never really know what Kyrie's real motivation was to leave Cleveland. Uh, maybe he just didn't like the city. Maybe he saw the writing on the wall that LeBron was going to leave and just wanted out beforehand. There are a lot of reasons he mentions one or two. It's obvious that he kind of was like hiding the truth a little bit. So whatever. Um, I don't wish him any harm. Uh, I, I still hopefully will keep the memory of Kyrie as the Cleveland Cavalier who won the NBA Finals and not like this guy who wanted out and surprised everybody by asking for a trade. So we'll see going forward what his reputation will be. The Cavs actually played a video uh, before the game, but then they, they stopped. They, they said they were going to play the video. They didn't play the video because the Cavaliers players were pissed off that it was going to be a tribute video before the opening night. And I can kind of get that. If it was an opening night, if it was like sometime in December, I'd, I'd probably be more okay with it. But opening night, you're like, man, this team's gone to three straight NBA Finals. They're trying to make it to a fourth, which, like, if, if they don't, it would be a huge shock if they didn't make it to a fourth straight. And that's something that's incredible. I mean, in Cleveland sports, it's one of the best, it's probably the best run of Cleveland sports since the 90s Indians. And if they make it to four, it'd probably be the best run since, like, the 50s, 60s Browns, you know, like, of, of just pure dominance of their conference. Uh, the other other teams in the East, they they really shed a lot. You know, Chicago, they they went into the dumpster this year. Indiana traded Paul George for cents on the dollar. Uh, the Knicks traded Carmelo Anthony. Whether or not you thought they were going to be a better team, they are going to be an outside team now. Which, by the way, this goes to show. You know, anyone that says, "Oh, no way, you can't," that team can't trade for Paul George. No way the Cavs could have gotten Paul George. It's like. Did you see what OKC traded to get Paul George and Carmelo Anthony? Yeah, anybody can get a superstar nowadays. Like, don't don't tell me you can't trade for a guy because anybody can trade for a guy if Victor Oladipo um, and a bag of balls can get you Paul George. So anybody can go out and get anybody, which, like, you know, it makes you think, 
you know, the Lakers, if you really wanted Paul George in free agency and LeBron in free agency, why wouldn't you just trade for Paul George right now? That was a big miss on them. And now OKC is going to be a really fun team to watch. And just watch them last night. Once they gel, I mean, they looked good one game in. But once they gel, they're going to be a lot of fun to watch with the three all-stars of Westbrook, Mello, and Paul George. And I'm a big Paul George fan. Everyone knows that. But let's go back to the East Conference. You know, you've got Cleveland is obviously the one. I think Boston, without Hayward, drops down from the two. I think Toronto steps up to the two seed. I really like their combo. But then again, you know, it's still, it's a little bit of the same. And can they have enough to challenge Cleveland? Uh, at least to make in the finals, no. Uh, I think they'll beat them once or twice, but no, I still I still like Cleveland as the as the best. And I'm going to like them, so I'm not going to compare them to every team. But I think Toronto is a good spot for the two. Uh, I think Miami is going to take a big jump this year. I think with, uh, it, you know, the way, the way the Waiters played at the end of last year, I think Deion Waiters is going to elevate Miami a bit. Then we got, uh, man, it's, it's a crapshoot. I think Boston there at four, even without Hayward, but with Kyrie, with the young rookies, and uh, you know he's still got some some decent players there, but they got rid of Avery Bradley, they got rid of Isaiah Thomas, Jay Crowder. Uh, you know they're they're in a tougher spot. They they kind of put all their chips in to the two all stars they required, and, uh, and they acquired, and one of them is gone now. So Boston's kind of in trouble. They might even fall farther than the four seed. But you know those are the top teams that I see. Um, if let's say they fall to the five, I would say Washington is in at the four. Yeah, that, that feels pretty good right there. Washington is the four. I still don't think the Sixers are going to be a uh, contender. I know everybody's really excited to watch them with their young guys. And I am too. Uh, I want to see them play, but I don't see them being like a threat or even a playoff team just yet. Uh, I, I said the, the five before. In the last three, probably Atlanta always finds a way to be a six seed, which is stupid. You know, being a six in the NBA really means you're nowhere. Like, at least the bottom teams are getting those lottery picks and have a chance at getting, like, a franchise-changing player. And the teams at the top are the ones that are competing for the title. But teams like Atlanta and the Hornets that are always around that six or seven seed, what is that? And it, it never it's It's NBA limbo. It never gets you anywhere. It only keeps you in limbo for a longer time. So I know they got rid of a couple contracts and they're getting younger, but they're still too, like, too good to be tanking. So I got Atlanta and Charlotte as the like 6-7 squad. And then as the 8, that's where things are getting a little dicey because I, uh, I don't think Brooklyn's good enough to make the playoffs. I don't think the Knicks are good enough. No, actually, maybe the Knicks are good enough. Maybe they're good enough to make it as the eighth seed and ruin their chances as a as a team that's going to win the lottery, which they actually ultimately need is just to win the lottery. It's like they should keep Porzingis in like a you know frozen chamber of some sorts, make like Porzingis the next Han Solo, and just to keep him in there until they get the one seed or the one pick. Maybe Frankie Smokes will show up and uh, you know be a bit of a surprise to all Nick fans out there. Again, no, nah, that's that's not gonna, they're not going to make the. Who knows? Maybe they'll get the eight. Maybe I'm missing somebody. I don't think. Nah, maybe it's Detroit. We'll give the eight seed to Detroit, and we'll give Knicks fans a little bit something to root for. Not like they need anything right now. I mean, the Yankees are still in the playoffs and probably going to win the World Series. The Dodgers are awaiting. The American League champion, Game 5, went Yankees, which I didn't watch any of the games in New York. I barely watched any of the games in Houston because I just don't want to watch baseball anymore. After, you know, I, Indians were eliminated, I thought, man, you know what? Like, I got to take a step back and can't watch the conference that I think they should be winning right now. Because that's just the bottom line is I, I just am disappointed. It was a great season. Uh, I, I, I mean... It was my favorite team to ever root for. Came up short. What are you gonna do? So enough baseball for this week. This was this was all about basketball. In the West, 
I mean, it's all about the Warriors. As much as the Cavs dominate the East, the Warriors dominate the West, but the contenders to stop them, I think, are really interesting this year. Houston beat them on night one after trailing by a lot to start the fourth quarter. I think they're trailing by like 13 or 14. Houston it just showed opening night. I know it's only opening night, but this is a Golden State team that's been together for a while now. And they blew that game at home on ring night. You know, never, never a chance, never thought there'd be a chance for them to blow that game. But they did, uh, which makes me think, okay, Houston is a real threat to them. The Clippers obviously are no longer a threat because they, I mean, they were really never a threat. They were always a threat to be the four or five seed. And the Clippers ended up getting rid of Chris Paul, which means they are no longer a threat to the in the West. I think the next threat actually comes from OKC. I just saw what you could do with Russell Westbrook alone, and he got a triple-double on night one with those other guys. They are going to gel this season. There's going to be some growing pains to see, you know, okay, Carmelo Anthony's going to have to shoot his way out of some slumps. Paul George, you know, is he going to be the last shot kind of guy? We really don't know how their whole dynamic is going to be just yet, but I think it's going to be a lot of fun to watch them, and I think it's going to be a real competitive team come playoff time. Uh, I think they look like the four seed, something like that, but that could be a really tough matchup for Golden State in the second round. But I still think Houston is the number one contender to the Warriors. You know, they have Chris Paul alongside James Harden for, I mean, I got to think it's the best guard combo in the NBA. Um, and not to mention, you know, this is the same team that was really competitive last year. Okay. And they just added, you know, a great point guard, like one of the best point guards ever, to be honest. So really excited to see Houston, who just absolutely rained threes last year continue at that pace. I mean, they were kind of, it's funny, as a Cavaliers fan, I was always talking about how, like, oh, the Cavaliers just, like, you know, they set, like, NBA records for three-pointers, and then they set it in the playoffs again. It was, like, it was crazy how it was often going, and I was never really paying attention to outside of the Cavaliers, and the Houston Rockets were doing the same exact thing, and it looks like they're just going to continue doing it. As long as Ryan Anderson can hold up his end defensively, they are a really tough team to defend, you know, and they can beat anybody. So I think Houston's right there. I think OKC's a fun team to compete. And I think, I think San Antonio, I mean, they just, everyone's a little bit older. These, they're, they have a lot of guys playing that I, I don't really know much about them. So we should see how they're going to be this season. But I, again, I don't think they're going to be, uh, a super contender like the other two are, but you know what? That maybe that's a good thing. Maybe San Antonio likes being, you know, cast off early and people dismissing them. Maybe that's what they want. So those are the top four seeds. I think after that, the five through eight, you know, you want to include Denver in there because they've made some improvements on a team that was really good last year. So I think Denver is going to be one of those like the six seven area because Utah's falling out. I don't I don't know about Portland. I think Portland maybe gets in as the eight seed again, which is always kind of funny to see them getting in. Uh, I think Memphis will make the the playoffs. I don't think they're going to blow it up just yet. They have too many good players in Mike Conley and Marcus Saul. So I think uh, Memphis gets into the playoffs and uh, you know as like the five. And I think the Clippers still find a way to get in as like that 6-7 area as well. Um, even though they lost Chris Paul, I think Pat Beverly's a really good player. I think they got some good players there. And uh, I wouldn't be surprised if Doc Rivers found a way to hold off, you know, the younger teams like Minnesota. You know, everyone wants, just like the Sixers in the East, everyone wants Minnesota in the West to like step up and be that like, that, like yes, like we're here and like we're we're gonna take the NBA by storm. Like it just doesn't happen that quickly, and uh, we'll see going forward. We'll see if the Minnesota can be that because they added Jimmy Butler. You know they have their young uh, your, their young core. Jeff Teague looks like a good piece for them to build around, and so maybe they'll make the playoffs. And it seems like they should. You know they have a better starting five than 
Uh, I think Portland, then probably Denver too, maybe even Memphis. So, but they don't have much of a bench, and we'll see how that works out for them. And I don't think the Lakers are anything near a playoff team just yet. I think they're still ten wins away. So that'll be the big question: is the Lakers win enough games to get LeBron and an All Star over there? Like everyone's saying, LeBron and Paul George. LeBron and Paul George will go to LA next season. I'm not too certain about that. You know, maybe Paul George really wants to go there, or maybe Paul George really enjoys winning in OKC. You know, what if this season goes great? What if they knock off a team like the Warriors? You know, or and or they see the writing on the wall. They're like, hey, we can just start to own the West if we if we stay here. And I think Carmelo will resign for sure because Carmelo just wants to win at this point. He has gone through so much losing teams. He wants a contender. And with this, he's still important. He wouldn't be going to the Cavaliers team where, like, he's one of many shooters, many players. Like, in OKC, he's part of a big three. So I think uh, and then Carmelo likes this spot. I think he'll stay. Russell Westbrook just signed his big contract. Should be very interesting to see. Paul George is going to set some dominoes in the NBA offseason next year. You know, what he does will set the stage because I think... Really, the Lakers are the only team that could pull LeBron away from Cleveland. I don't think he's going to go back to Miami. Uh, I think that would just—I I just think that would be like an explosion in my mind if he went back to Miami. And I don't see the like the Knicks. I don't see Boston. Uh, like I don't really see if he's if he's staying in the East, he's going to stay with Cleveland because that's just how he sees. You know, he's like, all right, I could either continue this reign of dominance and keep making it to NBA Finals after NBA Finals, keep my word that I said I want to end my career in Cleveland. He keeps saying that. So, you know, and this is a guy that he doesn't want to go back on his word anymore. You know, he hated becoming the villain of the NBA when he went to Miami. And then when he came back in Cleveland, Golden State kind of became the enemy because they won so many games and he was like an underdog, yet was dominating the East. I think he's going to want to continue to do that. Especially since sooner or later, you know, it's Golden State has had this unreal run of health. And you don't want to assume injury. You don't want to just say, oh, well, a team's got to get injured at some point. Because that's just not really how you want to root for the NBA. You say, oh, I'm waiting for an injury. But at the same time, like, like wow, they've just, you know, the Cavaliers have dealt with Kevin Love, Kyrie Irving injuries. You know, LeBron has had to sit out for a week or two here or there. And he's just a freak of nature to begin with anyway. But the the Warriors, you know, they had the Andrew Bogut injury. That was it, you know? <laughs> I mean, and, and they only missed him for two games, and then he was gone. So, you know, it's, it'll be interesting to see if they can stay healthy. It'll be interesting to see if they stay all together, if they, like, move Clay Thompson and... Uh, and end up like building a younger core because they do have some really nice pieces. The Warriors are a really deep team, but we'll see. You know, they the '73 win Warriors lost the NBA Finals and almost lost the Western Conference Finals if Kevin Durant could actually close that door when he was with the Thunder, but they couldn't. So we'll see going forward. You know, the NBA offseason will be will deserve its own preview as well. Uh, after the finals are over. But I think in terms of this NBA season, we're looking at a fourth straight Warriors-Cavs. There's a lot to learn about this Cavs team this year because a lot has changed. No Kyrie. They brought in Isaiah Thomas, Dwayne Wade, Jay Crowder. It's going to be interesting to see how all these new pieces fit. Jeff Green has looked good as a backup four, as like the ninth man. This is going to be a really interesting season. And I'm going to want to keep tabs on the Cavs, and more of the NBA this year. I want to be more educated as an NBA fan because I think I know basketball really well, and I just didn't watch enough basketball last year. Okay, so moving off of the NBA, because that was a pretty long NBA preview. I'm going to do my top five injuries. You know, and I don't know if that's tacky with Gordon Hayward's injury, but you know, I think his injury comes in as, as number five. You know, I've seen a lot of injuries. The worst ones are when something bends it where it shouldn't bend, and then the next worst is something bending the wrong way, which I think was the Hayward one. So 
Gordon Hayward, you know, he came down from an alley-oop attempt, landed on his ankle. It, it bent really weird at the time. I didn't think it looked that bad until they showed a close-up of his foot and it was facing the wrong way, to which I was like, oh, no, that's that's bad. And immediately Kevin Harlan was like, uh, you know, uh, Gordon Hayward broke his leg. Gordon Hayward broke his leg. Like, immediately said it. Like, didn't even know what part of the leg or what he actually did. Didn't even know if it was a break. He just saw it and was, Gordon Hayward broke his leg. So, I mean, it'll, it'll be interesting to see how he comes back from this one, but that is, that's, yeah, that, I mean, that one was really bad. Number four, uh, this is a, I mean, I'm going to go with Joe Theismann. Now, and I was thinking heavily about this because, you know, if I just kept it to basketball once, I, I was only actually four. You know, with four basketball injuries, I was like, I kind of, kind of got to keep just injuries in general. So, number four for like the most gruesome injuries, like the worst one to watch is Joe Theismann. Uh, and everyone seen when Lawrence Taylor came around the edge, and his again, this was where where your leg snapped where it wasn't supposed to. Like that's I think the worst injuries when you see someone's leg bend in the middle of their shin. That one just goes drives me crazy. Um, the other one that was a lot like Gordon Hayward's was Willis McGahee. Because there was the knee that bent. It was just, it went the other way. And for the longest time, Willis McGahee had the injury that I thought was the worst. But after seeing uh, these next three that I'm about to say, I mean, Willis McGahee's isn't, isn't as bad as those. Number three was Paul George's. Um, again, this was one where people were like, crying on the sideline they're like you know Kyrie was crying was like holding his dad in his arms when they're when like hugging watching this because it was just during practice that was the other thing it was during team USA practice he goes down to try and block a, like a James Harden fast fast break and steps on like the edge of where the baseline meets the hoop and again his leg bends like right above the ankle and makes like a U shape, and it was, oh, that one was bad. They only showed it for a brief second, but uh, yeah, it's it's a bad one. And number two is Sean Livingston's. Oh man, Sean Livingston. He came down another fast break. He was like uncontested too. Like that was the thing that's, that makes you feel so like scared playing basketballs. This guy was taking an uncontested layup, landed. It didn't even look like a funny land until his leg gave out from underneath him and his leg bends sideways. And what was supposed to be like the future star of the NBA, Sean Livingston, who was a top four NBA pick, automatically goes to, can he recover from this injury to play basketball anymore? And give it up to Sean Livingston for being able to come back and have an NBA career. And that's the thing with, you know, Paul George has come back to be an all-star afterwards. Uh, I don't actually know the history of Joe Theismann after the injury, but um, uh, and Willis McGahee got that injury in college, still had an NBA NFL career where he lasted pretty long, considering running backs' lives in the NBA or in the NFL. <coughs> so kudos to them. And this Gordon Hayward one, you know, with modern medicine and everything, I don't, I wouldn't be surprised if he came back and was an All Star next year, you know, because they uh, they do a great job of of being able to recover, and, you know, nowadays, it's not like the 80s, where it's like, oh, if you tore your ACL, you might be done playing football or something, <laughs> like, that just doesn't exist anymore, you know, guys like Adrian Peterson tear their ACL and come back later that season, I feel like, it's crazy what they can do nowadays, and number one injury is definitely Kevin Ware, I mean, that one was, for people to say that's not the worst injury, I'm like, just watch it, watch for me one more time, and tell me that's not the worst thing you've ever seen, it is so bad. Again, guy who's just closing out on a shooter, didn't step on someone's ankle, landed on his own leg, and then it's like the leg got stuck in the floor and the rest of his body kept going and snapped. Bone was through the skin. It's, I mean, the whole bench, when the bench saw it, they like freaked out. Rick Pitino saw it and like was like immediately threw his hands up to the ref, was like, yo, yo, stop this fucking game because this is disgusting. And the Duke players, I mean, everyone's reaction. When it came, when it happened back in, 
uh, I'm pretty sure it was 2000 and no, I know exactly what it was. It was it was Easter of 2013 because I was working at Madison Square Garden. I remember because it was before I started working for the Hoop Group, and it was right when all the Mike Rice stuff was going down. So ESPN, this was one of the t times that I like was deciding I was done with ESPN because Sports Center was showing two things: Kevin Ware injury update and Mike Rice update. That was it. They didn't show a single thing outside of what is up with Kevin Ware and this whole Mike Rice thing. And it was like the it was it must have been the Monday or the Tuesday after that round of the Elite Eights to get into the Final Four. And Louisville was out of where. Then, <laughs> man, I just remember turning on ESPN and being like, this is, they're still showing this shit? Oh, my God. Like, they, they were obsessed with it. And that was one of the final flags of why I, like, quit ESPN. But, yeah, that's a, that's my top five. Not really much uh, com competition for that top five, which is probably a good thing. You don't want those gruesome injuries. But I would say Willis McGahee would be the number one contender to be on that list. But, you know, Anytime your leg snaps in a place where it's not supposed to bend, really bad look. Yeah, really bad. Hopefully Gordon Hayward can get over his. All right, so I got a couple couple more segments. Quick one. Got a double one-minute movie review. Did two movies this week. You know, uh, two weeks ago when I did my one-minute movie review, I did the two Kingsman movies which I really loved. This one, not going to give out such amazing scores so easily. I saw the two Blade Runner movies this week. On Monday, I watched the original Blade Runner, 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 uh, and then on Tuesday, went with my friend Pat to see Blade Runner 2049. So I liked that. I got to see them both back to back like that. People saying you don't need to see the first one, you know, you kind of do. Uh, I mean, I guess you don't actually need to, like, there's nothing that, like, you'd be, like, questioning this and that, because they do a, you know, it's, it's very similar to the first movie in that they don't explain a whole lot, you kind of just have to pay attention to the details, but you don't need the first movie, but again, the first movie would really help, uh, it would really help you understand kind of the dynamic of the whole replicant Blade Runner relationship, if you just uh, if you saw the first one, so I would suggest seeing the first one before seeing the second one. But if you really can't find a way to do it, I would still go see the second one because I really like the second one. The sequel I think was a lot better than the original. It's about an hour longer, number one, um, which doesn't have doesn't help it being better, but it's just a, a fact to me. And uh, yeah, the the original can be a little. It was a little long. I've seen it a couple times, and it was uh, I, I've fallen asleep each time watching it because it's just one of those, you know, film noirs. It's the first neo noir or like science fiction noir film of its genre, which I appreciate and I can get behind because it really like set a tone of just like dramatic sci-fi films. You know, this is something that opened up the world to like the Matrix and stuff like that. Where you write really, you know, you, there's always somebody that's got to set the trend, you know, and, and so I don't want to rip the original, but it is a little bit long, and, uh, you know, even though it's an hour shorter of the new one, it's just not my favorite movie, the first one. I, I, I appreciate it, and I love where it came from, and I bet I'd really like the book, but the first one I didn't absolutely love. I think it's set on reputation of being like a classic because it's set a genre but it's not exactly like the best you know kind of like anytime your dad wants to show you what he thought the funniest movie was growing up i'm like you know anytime my dad wants to show me like porkies i'm like man porkies isn't really that funny is it <laughs> you watch it like animal house yes that like some comedies like defy time and still remain funny, which I think Animal House does. But like, there are some that are out there that I'm like, Dad, that, that movie's not that funny. He's like, Oh well, trust me. Like you know, it it, it was really funny. And I'm like, I, I I get that. I totally get that. Like I'm I'm do understand that. But I kind of think that that's sometimes when you have nothing to compare it to, it does take the cake. And I think Blade Runner the original did 
The second one, however, I thought was really something else. I mean, we saw it on the IMAX screen, so that helps. It was visually, like, one of the best movies I've ever seen. They do a... I mean, this is going to be Oscar talk with, with just what you see on screen, what they do with effects, and uh, and all the, like, whatever, whatever goes into making that movie what it was was really good visually. I thought the acting was really cool. I thought they did a really good job, you know, with Jared Leto and Ryan Gosling. There are so many intense characters, and I think their acting was just really good. And the plot was a lot of twists. I really can't, I can't really talk about this movie that much, because right from the get-go, there are some twists and turns. So it would kind of be spoiling a little bit if I were to tell you, like, literally anything about this movie, because... Just the relationship between humans, Blade Runners, replicants, and like everything was really weird. And it was a really cool, twisty turn movie. And they kind of keep it open for a sequel. So I'm really excited to see if they do that again. Maybe they wait another 30 years before making the sequel. But um, it was a really good movie. And I would suggest seeing it. Maybe it won't be your favorite if you're not into futuristic neo-noir movies but if you think you could get down with it it's a really good one and uh if you have three hours of time because it was a two hour 45 minute movie and uh yeah it's <laughs> block out your schedule for it but really good movie happy to include it into the jaker OMMRs, and uh yeah it's 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 exciting i don't know I'm probably, the next movie review, I might wait until Thor comes out, and then the next one will be Star Wars comes out in, in uh, December, unless I turn back the clock and do a couple old ones. But uh, this one was a, a really fun, I do like doing the double feature, one minute movie reviews, <laughs> even though I can't really review it because they'll be giving it away. Alright, final segment before getting out of here, I want to discuss a little bit of football. Uh, I, I'm trying to distance myself from baseball because I don't want to bash any more Yankee fans like I did last week. I kind of took it to them last week, and I would see why uh, people would be like, hey, why don't you back off? I just want to root for my team. And I'm like, I get that. Yeah, whatever. But ugh, never mind. Um, you know, it's really funny because I think the Browns are, I think Cleveland is one of the most prevalent sports cities in the country. And a lot of people say I'm just biased saying that. But in reality, they're in the sports cycle for every sport. <coughs> Sorry about that. Let's go sport by sport. You know, baseball, they are one of the true contenders of the World Series over the next the next five years, right? Because they have this core of players. They were the arguably the best team in baseball this year. I think they were. And... They aren't going to be losing any pieces next year. I think they're going to be a contender again. And we'll see how if they actually get a World Series ring. But I think the AL Central belongs to them in the near future. And we'll see if it turns into actual winning. But in terms of baseball, they're one of the focus points of the MLB. In basketball, they've been the only focus point in the Eastern Conference. And then even before LeBron was there, they were still story because they were so bad. So, you know, whether it was, oh, they have LeBron James, or, oh, this team is horrible because LeBron James left them, they've been one of the most prevalent teams in the Eastern Conference for the last decade, if not the most. Actually, no, the most. I mean, they are the most talked about team in the Eastern Conference over the past 10 years, and it's not close. It's them and Miami, and Miami had a four-year run. Cleveland had two years before Miami. Actually, I had more before that, but they had two years of being the one seed before Miami got LeBron, and then they've been the one seed ever since LeBron came back. So the Indians, Cavs, and I'm going to say the Browns. Okay, the Browns don't do anything. Yet people can't stop talking about them. You know, they've been bad, but, like, people don't always talk about the bad teams. People don't talk about the Niners and the Bears like they do the Browns. You know, in recent years when the Jets and Jags have been bad, they don't talk about them like they talk about Cleveland. Everybody has to weigh in on the Browns. They got to say what the Browns are doing. They got to say, oh, classic Browns, laws Browns, typical Browns. Nobody can keep Browns out of their mouth. You know, you got guys like 
Matthew Miller, and Chris Sims. You got any of the draft experts at over at ESPN, Bleacher Report, Walter Football. Literally everybody talks about the Browns. Because they think there's a big contingency out there that thinks, oh, okay, I know what the Browns are doing wrong. I know the Browns. It's like, A, they're rebuilding. They're a bad team. You got to get that through your head before you say, oh, what are the Browns doing? It's like, they're rebuilding. This is what rebuilding looks like. They're a bad football team. Get over it. Do they make mistakes in coaching? Yeah. But again, coaching isn't always flawless for the good teams too. So it just looks worse when you're on a bad team and you're coaching. It, it, it makes mistakes too. And then when your young rookie quarterback makes mistakes, yeah, shocker. So there's a reason the Browns look this bad. They're rebuilding and their rebuild is going to make it look ugly on the field too. So get over it. But So that's for the people that try to fix it. Then the people like you know, Heath Evans can be very critical of the Browns or Bill Polian. You know, these are guys that they think, oh, you know, at draft time, they're like, I just don't understand what the Browns are doing. It's like, well, you don't understand it because you don't, like, want to admit maybe the Browns are actually doing the smart thing by scrapping it and starting over. You know, maybe that's actually a good idea. Who knows? I mean, I'm not a genius, but I feel like, hey, you know, just putting Band-Aids over bullet wounds wasn't going to get it done. You know, signing this team, adding guys like Paul Kruger and Carlos Dansby, you know, kind of like older veteran guys, it wasn't going to get anything done. It was going to take a one-win team and make them a four-win, five-win team at best. And where does that get the Browns? Nowhere. It takes away reps from the young guys. It puts you out of a spot for the top playoff, or the <laughs> playoffs. It takes you out of the top spot in the draft. And it really just, it doesn't help the team long-term. At least what they're doing right now is they're building up with draft picks they have young players at every position, and as long as they can keep the continuity, as long as nobody gets trigger-happy with firing people, they can survive these firings and just rebuild together. And if they work together, yeah, go figure. If the coaching and front office work together, they can actually build a team the right way. And then two years from now, maybe we'll be saying, oh, you know what? The Browns, they look pretty good. Maybe they'll be a... Maybe they'll be like a playoff team in the next year or two. And then you realize, oh shit, they have so many picks. Their whole team is fucking young as hell. You know, they have the youngest player in the NFL is their quarterback right now. Yet everybody wants to ditch him. You know, it's like, would you give anybody a chance? And it's not just the Browns are trigger happy. It's everybody. Everybody's like, nope, they got to restart and rebuild. It's like, that's what they just did. They just did that. You got to give the rebuild a chance. You wouldn't say bake a cake, and then pull it out after 10 minutes in the oven and be like, well, it's not ready. And and again, I, I'm not a baker. I don't really, as much as I use that nickname, I don't know how long you bake cakes for. So maybe it is 10 minutes, but I'm pretty sure it's not. But you wouldn't pull out a cake out of the oven before it was ready and say, oh, you know what? You got to start over and make a new cake. It's like, no, hold, hold on. Just give it some time. These things take time. The Browns are in the unenviable position of not having a franchise quarterback. And if they drafted one the last two years, they wouldn't have given this quarterback a fair shot. What they're doing is building something to build around that future quarterback. Maybe it's Deshaun Kaiser. Maybe it's a guy in the 2018 draft. Maybe it's even farther than there. I think the best way to go right now is you build around the quarterback position. Eventually, find that quarterback and put him into a situation where he's not going to get destroyed because of his bad offensive line play or receivers not catching the ball, which right now we're seeing Kaiser. He, he When he delivers these strikes, receivers can't catch his passes. It's a long season. We're only six weeks in. I think the worst has come and the best is yet to come. There are a lot of better times ahead for Browns fans. And as long as they... Stick with the plan. They'll be fine. And that's one of the bummers right now. Because I I want to root for Carson Wentz and Deshaun Watson so bad. I loved Deshaun Watson in college. And my friend Bill Mead told me about Deshaun Watson two year, three years ago when he was a sophomore. And I was like, yeah, okay. All right, I'll check him out. And I, I was liking Clemson because I really liked Taj Boyd. 
And when Taj Boyd did theirs, he took a team that was really never a contender. You know, with Dabo Swinney, he and Dabo Swinney just made them um, so much fun to watch. And when my sister was going down there for college, I was like, you know what, I kind of, I want to pay attention. I want I want to follow one of these Southeast football teams, you know, whether it was the SEC or the ACC, I want to follow one of these South Carolina ones. So I decided Clemson, not South Carolina. And that was a really good choice. And I ended up going to a game for each. I went to a Clemson game, went to a South Carolina game, and just, like, I was just really all in on that Clemson run. Uh, I was, you know, anytime they played, I was like, I was pulling for them. And then when Deshaun Watson became a thing, I was like, oh my God, this guy is something. And I immediately just want, I was like, no matter what, you know, when he won the national championship, the first things I said were, no matter what, I want him on the Browns. And they had a chance. And I understand what the Browns are doing. And I appreciate the fact that they're loading up on these picks and they can turn that that pick, that number 12 pick, that was Deshaun Watson. They turned it into Jabril Peppers plus a future first round pick. And maybe that first round pick that they get next year Maybe that turns into two more first-round picks. So maybe it's Jabril Peppers plus two first-round picks, because I see what they're doing and I understand it, and I understand that if Deshaun Watson was on this team, he would not have the success that he'd have in Houston. Houston's got an All-Pro receiver, another first-round pick that's playing because Will Fuller's playing and Corey Coleman ain't in Cleveland, so that's a big factor here. And he's got just a winning atmosphere. They've had a team that's won games before. And right now in Cleveland, this is a rebuild. This would be this would be tough on Deshaun Watson. I don't think he'd look any good in Cleveland right now. Carson Wentz too. I think if the Browns didn't do that trade and they just got Wentz, they would have even an, an even worse roster than they have now. Think about that. Everyone thinks the Browns are horrible and they're a really bad team, but at least they have young players to build around. If they had drafted Carson Wentz and didn't make these trades, they wouldn't have these young players. They would have old veterans that aren't really worthy of being on rosters and undrafted guys and late round picks because that's what that's what they wouldn't have. I mean, if they had drafted Carson Wentz, he would not be doing the same thing. You know, and, and I hope people understand that that's how this works. Yes, the Browns could have drafted Carson Wentz. Yes, they could have drafted Deshaun Watson. We all know and we all get that. But, I mean... Look, it's tired. It's tired at this point. I want to root for those guys so badly. And I will be able to once the Browns figure out their thing. But until then, it's just going to be more hard times. Anyway, got a big weekend. My buddy Chris Heine, one of my most loyal listeners, is getting married. And uh, that should be a very fun weekend. We'll see how I do fitting into my suit tonight. Got the lunch break gala. Last one where my dad is, well, my dad's actually not the president of Lunch Break anymore, but we're going anyway to support him and support Lunch Break, which is a great cause. And uh, who knows, maybe I'll get over to see the end of the RBC St. John Vianney game because St. John Vianney has won like 30-something straight games and RBC uh, is like a top 15 team in the state. Should be a very fun showdown for my alma mater. And then... uh, and yeah, after Heine's wedding, we'll move on to the next one where I'm a groomsman at Tom's wedding. It is wedding season. It is definitely that. Anyway, thanks again for listening to the Jake podcast. Hope you had a good one. See you next week.